0: Tim Evans walked in the prison yard and the screws they walked behind and he saw the sky above the wall but he knew no peace of mind saying go down you murderer go down they came for him at 8 o'clock and the chaplain read a prayer and then they marched him to that place where the hangman did prepare saying go down you murderer go down the rope was fixed around his neck and a washer behind his ear. The prison bell was tolling, but Tim Evans did not hear, saying, go down, you murderer, go down. A thousand lays were cursing and a banging on the doors, but Evans couldn't hear them. He was deaf forevermore, saying, go down, you murderer, go down. They sent Tim Evans to the drop for a crime he did not do. It was Christie was the murderer, and the judge and jury too, saying go down you murderers, go down. extract from Ballad of Tim Evans by Ewan McCall. This was the hanging of Timothy Evans, and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. So, Timothy John Evans was born November 20, 1924, in Myrtle, Tidville, Wales. His father left the family in April before Tim was born, and Tim's mother remarried in 1933. As a kid, Tim was slow at speaking and struggled in school. When he was eight, he was involved in some sort of accident that injured his foot, and it never healed had him out of school a lot for treatment adding to more setbacks in the schooling. Because of this when he got to adulthood he had basic education often needing people to read long documents for him. Short and simple he was fine but long or detailed he needed help. He liked boxing and football supporting Queen Park's Rangers. As a child he would tell white lies at times to boost his confidence. And this he also did in adulthood, which wasn't great regarding credibility when dealing with police and courts. In 1935, Tim's mother and stepfather moved to London. Tim would work as a painter and decorator at this time, still attending school. In 1937, he went back to Myrtle Tidville and tried his hand at coal mining, but with his foot issues, he soon had to leave. In 1939, he went back to London and lived with his mother. April 25, 1946, Tim ended up on the wrong side of the law after being caught stealing a car with no license or insurance. For this, he got a fine of 60 shillings. In January 1947, Tim went on a blind date with Beryl Torley. They married September 20, 1947. The couple would live with Tim's family until Beryl became pregnant and then they moved to the top floor flat at 10 Rillington Place in 1948. On the ground floor lived John Christie and his wife Ethel. Keep that name in your mind, it will come into play later. So October 10, 1948, Tim and Beryl's daughter was born. They named her Geraldine. The marriage was a lot of arguing Beryl wasn't great at the money and her house duties were rarely done. Tim would drink a lot of the family money away and the alcohol poured a lot of fuel onto an already hot, short-tempered Tim. Their arguments were loud, so loud that neighbours could hear and on a few occasions, neighbours and others seen those arguments become physical between the pair. 1949, Beryl found out she was pregnant again With the marriage not great and the money tight, Beryl told Tim she wanted an abortion. Tim didn't agree, thought they could make it work, but after some thinking, he agreed. Just weeks later, November 30, 1949, Tim appeared at the police station. He told them that Beryl had died in a freak accident. His first confession went on as follows. He got a bottle of something from a man to give to his wife to abort the baby, whatever that something was killed her. He panicked and got rid of Beryl in a sewer drain outside Ten Rlington Place. When asked about his daughter Geraldine he said she was being looked after. So obviously a body in the sewers the police had a check and found nothing. What they did find was the manhole cover took three of them to lift it. So how did Tim do it alone? Tim was taken back in and asked to retell his story. This time he changed his story. The man involved was his neighbour, John Christie. And there was no bottle of something. Instead, John offered to perform abortion on Beryl. According to Tim with abortion illegal in the UK back then, Tim didn't want to name John as he didn't want him to get in trouble. The couple had a talk and agreed to take John up on the offer. John arrived one day as Tim went to work. When Tim got home, John said the abortion didn't work and Beryl was dead. John told Tim he'd dispose of the body and would have a couple look after Geraldine He also told Tim to leave for London while all this was happening. When Tim came back and asked John about Geraldine, Tim said John wouldn't allow him to see her. With this statement, the police decided to search all of Ten relative place. They found a human tie bone supporting a fence post in the garden and weirdly they concluded nothing incriminating was uncovered. But on its second touch, just to be sure, a more in-depth search was done December 2nd, and this time they found Beryl's body wrapped in a tablecloth in the washhouse at the back of the garden. The washhouse was locked and only opened by a knife that John's wife Ethel had. Beside Beryl, the police found her daughter Geraldine. Tim did not mention Geraldine's death in his statements. On examination both Beryl and Geraldine were strangled so police took Tim and showed him the clothing that was on the bodies to confirm it was them and to inform him of how they died. He was then asked was he responsible and shockingly Tim said yes. Tim went on to confess he strangled Beryl during a heated argument about money and then two days later he strangled Geraldine his daughter. This confession and previous lies to some proves his guilt. Some think the police played a hypothetical game with him, with details later being edited. The interrogations were long and considering his emotional state with learning the deaths, he could have been physically and emotionally strained. Tim would mention in court feeling threatened if he did not confess then being in shock of what was discovered could have led him to falsely confess the police investigations also had no forensic expertise and overlooked significant evidence in 2003 the psychology of interrogations and confessions came out in it it would suggest the wording of the confession was more that of police than a poorly educated man such as Tim. He was also kept in solitary confinement for two days, then handed over to London police. He had no clue what was going on, apart from nothing was found in the drain. Then he was shown the clothing and bluntly told his whole family were strangled. This shock and exhaustion, he would have been a shell of a man agreeing to anything. The police had two dead and a man who to them confessed. So on January 11th, 1950, Tim Evans was put on trial for the murder of his daughter. Back then, prosecution could only do one charge of murder, so they went with Geraldine. But Beryl's murder would come in as evidence and connect a reason of guilt from Beryl's murder to that of Geraldine's. Malcolm Morris would represent Tim. The first step, Tim withdrew his confession while speaking to Malcolm and said it was John Christie that killed his wife and child. Malcolm didn't like this route, saying it was difficult to prove, but Tim held his defence until his execution. It would eventually be found out that John Christie was indeed the killer, but for now, John Christie was key to the prosecution. John denied any offer or performance of an abortion, giving detailed evidence of the fights he heard and seen between him and Beryl. The defense tried to say John was the murderer and used his past record of several thefts and malicious wounding as proof. But John's reform and service as special constable with the police seemed to have impressed the jury. The defense couldn't show why a respected person like John would go on to murder two people, one an innocent baby, while prosecution went with Tim's confession and rewritten confession as motive. Tim had no convictions of violence, but the conflicting statements of arguments and violence smashed his credibility. The case came down to John's word against Tim's. The trial lasted three days with much of the key evidence never shown. The jury took 40 minutes to find Tim guilty and on February 20th an appeal was held and failed. On March 9th, 1950, Tim Evans was hung. There was one important fact not brought up in Tim's trial. Two workmen were willing to testify no bodies were in the wash house days after Tim supposedly hid them. They were doing work and stored their tools in the wash house. They completely cleaned it out when finished on November 11th. This evidence would have given doubt, but they were never called. Instead, at police re-interviews, they were forced to change their testimonies to fit the timeline, making Tim the only possible murderer. Ready for a twist? Three years later, John Christie's premises at 10 Rillington Place was vacated and the landlord let the upstairs tenant, Burst Ford Brown, to use John's empty kitchen, but it wasn't empty. Brown found three bodies of Kathleen Maloney, Rita Nielsen and Hectorian MacLennan hidden in a papered-over kitchen pantry. A recess immediately next to the wash house that had Beryl and Geraldine. A large search was done finding John's wife Ethel, a nurse Ruth Forrest, and John's colleague Merle Aidley, all dead. March 31st 1953, John Christie was arrested. In interrogations he confessed many times at different times to killing Beryl Evans but never said he killed Geraldine. He admitted to killing first and aidily, st- uh, storing them in the wash house and then burying them in the garden. John Christie was found guilty of murdering his wife Ethel and hung July 15th, 1953. John's crimes would now cast doubt on Tim's sentence in 1950. Home Secretary David Maxwell Fife commissioned an inquiry to look into possibility of miscarriage of justice it ran for about a week and upheld tim evans guilt in both murders explaining john's confession is unreliable because it supported his insanity defense this sparked debate of john's if john's was considered unreliable why would tim's be accepted The controversy would go on for years until Tim Evans' declaration of innocence. 1955. David Astor, editor of The Observer, Ian Gilmore, editor of The Spectator, John Griggs, editor of The National and English Review, and Sir Lytton Andrews, editor of The Yorkshire Post, formed a delegation and they petitioned the Home Secretary for a new inquiry as they were not happy with the first. TV journalist Ludovic Kennedy criticised the police investigation. This would create another parliamentary debate in 1961, but still no second inquiry. In 1965, Herbert Wolfe, politician for the Liberal Party, contacted editor of the Northern Echo, Harold Evans. He and Kennedy created the Timothy Evans Committee. From this, Home Secretary Sir Frank skoskisk ordered a new inquiry. This time, the conclusion was Tim didn't kill his daughter, but, quote, more probably than not, end quote, killed his wife. The chair of the inquiry, Sir Daniel Barbin, went to great lengths to side with police exonerating them of any misconduct the inquiry did little to settle the many issues but exonerating tim of his daughter's murder would be crucial in subsequent events tim was convicted on the murder of his daughter so the next home secretary roy jenkins recommended a royal pardon for tim evans which was granted october 1966. The outcry over the case con- contributed to the suspension and then abolition of capital punishment in the UK. A call came from Tim's half-sister to formally quash his convictions in 2004, but November 2004 it was dismissed as costs and resources could not be justified to quash the conviction, although. They do accept Tim Evans did not murder his daughter or his wife. And that is the story of the hanging of Timothy Evans. Thank you for listening. Join me next time for the story of Richard Speck, U.S. mass murderer who killed eight shooting nurses in Chicago by stabbing, strangling and slashing their throats on the night of July 13th to 14th, 1966. Convicted April 15, 1967, he was at first sentenced to death but in 1972 this was changed to 400 to 1200 years in prison. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.